0: Our Old Testament lesson this morning is Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8, and uh, this is a psalm. I'd love to just read the whole thing uh, all the way through, but it's kind of a long one, so I uh, will—yeah, it's like 72 verses. (laughs) I'll leave that to you to read all of it. We'll just read the first eight verses and kind of get you started on it, and then you'll understand why— probably want to read the whole rest of it uh before we read let us pray heavenly father we do thank you again for this day you've made and we thank you again for your word that you've given to us and we ask that you would help us today to hear your word Lord, we ask that you'd help us not to hear it uh, just as sounds or that we would hear your heart now that we would um through your word and by your spirit today, come to know you better, that we would come to love and trust you more in everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 78, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have taught us, have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. You want to keep reading, don't you? I know. Turning into our New Testament lesson. This is from First John, starting in chapter 1, verse 5, and going on through chapter 2, verse 2. John writes, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this morning, um, obviously, looks a little differently uh, if, you're, if you're here in person or watching online. Uh, everything looks a little bit different, and one of the differences is I'm actually up here, and that's that's weird. It's weird. For years, I have been uh, reading. The scripture lessons from up here behind the pulpit, and then whenever I preach, I actually go down and stand um, right there between the first couple of pews and uh, and there's a reason for that it's actually on purpose that I do it that way I've never explained this, but this seems as good a time as any, especially since now I don't get to go down there <laughs> so uh, here's the reason why is the reason that I read the Bible and the Old Testament and New Testament lessons from up here. Is because this is on a different level, like there's actually stairs right there. You go from there up to here, and so there's kind of this symbolic way of uh, reminding ourselves, just in the way that we do this, that we are under the Word of God, that it has authority over us and on our lives, and so when we read the Scriptures, we read it from up here, <laughs> from this place, kind of of uh, of prominence and of authority, but then. Why would I come down there to preach? (laughs) Is that because uh, the word of God does not have authority? No, of course it still does. But it's because the word of God does not stay off high and removed from us. This is what John tells us in John chapter 1, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the, the reason of the incarnation. It is the word of God actually coming to us, to be with us, to communicate more clearly to us who God is and what uh, what he's about and who we are. This is the reason I come down there to preach. So that is actually a way of sort of reminding us of like a physical reminder of the way in which God's word comes to us, where we are. That Philippians 2, God, Jesus didn't stay, uh, consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage, but taking on the very nature of a servant, he came. And so... That's the reason we normally do that. I also, I don't just bring that up because of um, having to preach from here today, but it's actually what comes up in the message for today. So we've been looking at John chapter 16 uh, for a while. We've been looking at John, the whole book of John, <laughs> for quite some time. And, uh, and we've been looking at this section, kind of chapters 13 to 16, where Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room the night before he goes to the cross. And what he's been doing during this time is kind of having this really intense final conversation with them. When they leave this room, where they are going next is to the place of his arrest. So this is the time where he can talk to them and tell them what he wants them to know, what he wants them to remember, what he uh, wants them to remember is important. And so he's been having this conversation with them, and it's, it's been kind of intense. Um, and yet, all of it has been for their good. Um, and he's been trying to explain, you know, kind of in one way after another, what this is all about. And today, we get to the end of that conversation. Today we find uh, kind of the the way that he concludes this whole conversation. Before uh, what we will begin next week is this extended prayer that actually concludes their time together that evening. But this is the last that he specifically speaks to his disciples, and there's a little interchange here, and uh, that will help us, I hope, understand a lot of things. So let's just dive in. This is um, John 16 verses 25 through 33. Jesus continues speaking to his disciples saying this. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home, you will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What a great concluding conversation, isn't it? As Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and this is the way that uh, that this conversation ends. But in case we missed it, let's go back through. In verses 25 to 28, Jesus says that he, is, he has been speaking figuratively. They've not been understanding that, but there's a time coming when he's going to be able to speak plainly. In verse 29, that's where the disciples say, oh, we get it. Now you're speaking clearly, and we get it. In verse 31, Jesus says, do you though? (laughs) Paraphrase mine. In the first section, 25 to 28, Jesus is telling them what is going on. He says there's going to be a time when he's not using uh, figures of speech. He has told a lot of things in parables. You remember this? All the way through his teaching ministry, there's a lot of things that he tells in parables. The kingdom of, of heaven is like, or the kingdom of heaven will be like. He's got all these images. And a lot of times, after he says these things, the disciples come to him and they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and sometimes he goes into further explanation with them of what he's talking about. But all of it is really hard to understand, and we talked about that last week, this difficulty for them to understand on that side of the cross what in the world Jesus is talking about. We said it was like trying to, if you were to speak dog and you were to try to explain to your dog about uh, the importance of filing your taxes on time, and your dog is going to be like, I don't understand any of the things that you're talking about. Like all of those concepts mean nothing to me. And that that's kind of how it is when Jesus is trying to tell uh, his disciples about <laughs> eternal life and the kingdom of heaven and these concepts that are like just doesn't i don't i'm trying i want to get it but that doesn't that, that doesn't fit as a part of my experience that's not something that comes naturally to me to understand and so jesus has been using all these figures of speech to try to explain this to them to get them as close as he can and he says but there's a time coming when am i gonna have to do that anymore I'm not going to have to do that anymore because you'll have uh, a different way of viewing this whole thing. And that's not going to happen, though, until he goes to the cross and raises again from the dead. And once that happens, everything changes. In fact, what, what he's been telling them, they're like, yeah, that doesn't quite meet, match up with our experience of the world. But once he raises from the dead, their experience of the world is going to change. And suddenly the things that he is saying are going to make more sense. But for now, they still don't have that. So what is it they think they do understand? Well, in verse 28, he actually says, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. What a tight little couplet. (laughs) I came from the Father and entered the world and now i'm leaving the world and going back to the father see that it's lovely jesus says it like this and they go okay we get it yeah now we know the whole thing we get we get what's going on with all of it and so he said uh they say now you're speaking clearly without figures of speech we can see that you know all things that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions that goes back to what we looked at last week when they're all talking among themselves what does he mean by he's like, is that what you're asking? And he, yeah, how'd you know? Um, and then they say, this makes us believe that you came from God. That's it. They think they finally get it because now they understand that he came from God. Let me tell you, somebody who's been reading and following the story all the way through John, how do you get to this moment and not get that? <laughs> how do you watch everything that he has done and heard everything that he has said and heard him again and again say, I'm only saying what the father tells me. I'm only doing what the father tells me. I'm only doing the things that uh, you see him doing only the things that his father is doing. How do you get to this point and go, oh, so you're from God? (laughs) Okay, yeah, now we get that. Come on. But that's where they are. And they say, okay, so now we get it. We believe that you came from God. And he says, yeah. do you believe? Do you now believe? And then Jesus goes on and says some discouraging things. Like, why, why would you bring this up? Right in this moment where it seems like they're getting it. And it's like Jesus then pours cold water on it. <laughs> why? The time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. Why bring this up? And I think the reason He brings it up, I think there are a couple of reasons. One, He's not bringing this up for uh, discouragement. By the way, He's not bringing this up to make them feel bad, and that's kind of how it seems, right? That right at the point where they're like, "Hey, we're getting it," and He's like, "Well, feel bad, because <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna all abandon me. You're all gonna scatter." No, he's not doing it for that. But once again, this is that um, way that Jesus is revealing that he knows them better than they know themselves. I think that's important. That Jesus knows the disciples better than they know themselves. We see this uh, most explicitly with his relationship with Peter and how that all gets (laughs) played out. But with all the disciples... You're all going to leave. You're all going to scatter. You're going to leave me alone. And keep in mind, he's not talking about, you know, someday way out in the future. He's like, within the next couple hours, that's when this is all going to happen. That's why he's telling them this. He's telling them this so that when it happens, they won't be surprised. He's also telling them this because of, uh, well, what comes next? He actually tells them, I have told you this. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Well, now how is my falling away going to bring me peace? How is knowing that I am uh, weak and I'm not going to stand up in the time of testing, how is that supposed to bring me peace? Doesn't that just give me something else to worry about? I mean, wasn't that the issue when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me? And then all the disciples start turning to each other and being like, who's it going to be? Is it, gonna, is it me? Is it me? Is, I'm not the one going to do that. And it's like, it's just another thing to worry about. And now Jesus says, you're all going to fall away. You're all going to scatter each to your own home. You're going to leave me alone. And it seems like in that moment, they'd be like, I'm going to do that. Is that me? Am I going to fall away? Am I going to scatter? No, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand right now. I'm going to. And it seems like he's giving them something else to worry about or something to feel bad about. But no, he actually tells them, oh, I'm telling, this, telling you this so that in me you may have peace. Does anybody follow that logic? I hope so. But don't worry if you don't. I'm going to spell it out for us. Um. He says in the next verse, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. It's like the same verse, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is the logic that makes sense of all of it. What he's saying to them in effect, and we're going to go through this in a bit more detail. He says, effectively, you, you still don't get it like you think you do. You still think this whole thing depends on you. That it doesn't. But hang in there. Even when things get rough, hang in there. Even when you do what you thought you'd never do, hang in there. Because no matter what trouble is coming, it is coming. There will be trouble. He's already told them early in this conversation, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be things that cause distress. And he says, but when that happens, this is where the peace in him comes from. Take heart. I've already won. I've already won. And so you don't have to worry and go, oh no, what is this going to mean? Does this mean that we're going to lose after all? No, it doesn't. And so even in the times of... Um, times of trouble and times of distress and times of persecution even. Even when they do exactly what they thought they'd never do, they can have peace. It didn't depend on them anyway. That Jesus has already won. Um, This word overcome, what Jesus is talking about here, Uh, of how it is he overcomes the world explains why it is that the disciples still don't understand it. Because what he's talking about is overcoming the world, actually having victory over the world. And what does that look like? If you were to survey a lot of people and say, what would it look like to win in this world? I bet you could find a lot of answers that are different than Jesus's. But the way that Jesus declares that he has the victory in this world is actually by going to the cross. And that, again, is something the disciples did not understand. But that is what he's talking about. In, uh, the next time that this word is used in the New Testament is actually um, in Romans twelve twenty-one, where it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that is the same kind of thing that Jesus is talking about, is this faithfulness, faithfulness, no matter what. And so what we see in Jesus is someone who from start to finish stayed the course, kept that relationship with his heavenly father, and did not compromise no matter what else was going on. And so we see him in the temptation uh, scene in the wilderness where uh, Satan comes to test him. And when he is physically at his weakest, he stays the course. He stays faithful. He keeps his relationship with God. He does not compromise. The same thing when uh, we have Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians and everybody coming at him and trying to, uh, to trap him. Yes or no, Jesus. Just simple yes or no. We pay taxes to Caesar or not. Just yes or no. He doesn't fall into the trap. He doesn't compromise. And he keeps um, his relationship with the Father through it all. This is the kind of victory that we're talking about. This is the same thing that we don't do. And so when you go all the way back to Genesis 3 and you see Adam and Eve in the garden and, you know, the fruit looks good. And so the trap is there. Satan comes in and says, what do you think? Looks pretty good, doesn't it? Why don't you take a bite? Well, you know, God's, ah, don't worry about him. And they compromise. And so in that moment, there's kind of like, well, we'll walk with him most of the time. But right now, I think we'll just do it our way. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) And so we see uh, that same pattern and that same problem that repeats and repeats in every human sense, except for one. This is the victory Jesus is talking about. This is what it looks like to actually overcome the world. It's to overcome, it's to be victorious over that sin that is crouching at the door that desires to have you. That's what it says in um, Genesis 4 with Cain when he's considering killing his brother. That sin is waiting and wanting to devour him. And he lets it. And unfortunately, we followed his path too. And we let it devour us. And on and on until we get to Jesus... And he says, listen, though, in this world, you will have trouble. But don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't become weary because this is not in vain. I've already won. I have overcome the world. We will actually see this play out again. We've seen it all the way through John so far, but we'll see it again as we go forward from here and as he faces his arrest and his trial and as he goes and takes that long walk to the cross. That through it all, even hanging on the cross, he stays faithful and does not compromise in his relationship with the Father. This is what it looks like to not uh, be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul reminds us that our, our struggle, our fight, is not against flesh and blood. Some translations put it this way. Our fight is not against human beings. Our fight is not against human beings. But we do have a fight. And so this is where we look to, um, to Jesus and we say, we want to follow him in his victory. And this is why he says, I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace. Uh, Not apart from him. (laughs) You can't expect to have peace apart from him. Because in me you will have peace. And so we say, okay, well, we want that. We want to follow you. (laughs) He says, (laughs) well, good. Because that leads to victory. But here's the thing. If we are fighting uh, the same battle that he is, if we follow following him in that battle, we'll be fighting the same battle that he fought against the spiritual forces, against evil itself. We'll be fighting that battle, and we'll be doing so with um, the weapons he gives us to fight and in the way that he has given us to fight. And in that, we are assured we have victory. However, if we start fighting other battles, we're using other weapons. We may, may need to check ourselves. We may not be following Jesus after all. But listen. Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to mess this up. <laughs> you're all going to mess this up. And no, it's not okay to mess it up. But when you mess it up, understand that doesn't mean it's over. Take heart. <laughs> know that I've already won the victory. And then turn around and keep going. Anytime we get off track, turn around and keep going. Um, very quickly. I say that. Who, who knows? Um. you'll have heard this before. This is something we talked about in Coach's Outreach uh, recently. A lot of times we have this idea of um, kind of the, the scales of justice. And we say, you know, I know that I've done some bad things. That goes over here. I know I've done some good things. That goes over here. And, you know, you hear people say, I just hope that in the end my good outweighs my bad. Right? Have you heard this before? Have you felt that before? I think in some sense, we all kind of have that built into us, this uh, sense of, you know, am I doing more wrong than right? Or am I doing more right than wrong? Where do I fall in that way? And, um, well, the bad news is, we'll start there. The bad news is uh, that the Bible tells us we've all, you can't do enough good, all of it, uh, all of us. Our bad outweighs our good. In fact, Isaiah tells us that our even our good things, our righteousness is like filthy rags. They're so like, well, great. So even the best stuff I do still goes on the bad, bad side. Well, then how am I ever going to do enough? And the Bible says, you can't. And that might lead us to uh, despair. Romans 8 says there's, Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is how Jesus is able to say, told you these things, so that in me, you might have peace. Listen to this. Scales probably aren't the best way to look at it, but if we're going to use that, this is what's happened. Is on the cross, Jesus took all of your sin off of the bad part of your scale and put it on him at the cross, which means not there anymore. we go, okay, well, that's that's a start. Maybe now I can do enough to, no, that's not how it works either. taken all the sin off and dealt with it on the cross. We don't have to deal with that anymore. That's what we were uh, listening to the song, It Is Well With My Soul, about earlier. He's nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. But then the other thing that he's done is Jesus is the one who has won the victory, right? He's actually lived the perfect life, who stayed uh, in the, that relationship with the Father without ever compromising. And so his righteousness is actually what then goes on our scale and tips it the other way completely. So now think about this. If we have all of the bad things that we have done, all the ways that we have missed the mark, all the ways that we have gone off track, taken off, and we have all the ways that he got it right put on, does that sound like good news? Does that sound like maybe we don't have to worry about, oh, I hope I've done enough good stuff? That's a whole different way of, uh, of living in this world. That's why Jesus says, in me, have peace. It's the reason why we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. It is the reason that it says uh, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, what do we do? We live out of that. I'll give you some homework assignments on what to read. Because most of the New Testament, actually, this is what it's doing. is It's kind of spelling this out. This is what uh, where we are in Jesus, and then now how do we live in light of that? Romans 12, Ephesians 4. Not just those chapters, but start in those chapters. Start in Romans 12 and read through until Paul starts talking about kind of personal greetings. Ephesians 4. Start there and just read to the end. Both of these are Paul saying uh, to a group in Rome and a group in Ephesus, because of what God has done for us in Jesus, this is now how we live. This is how we live this out. And I want us to know, as we do this, as we look at those things and we try to live that out, we're going to mess it up. We will. And that is why we go back again and again to grace. That is why we go back again and again to to Jesus saying to his disciples, you're going to mess this up. You think you get it. You only kind of get it at this point. You're still going to get things messed up. But take heart. In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. He has already won the victory. And so we can continue to show uh, grace to each other when we mess up. We can continue to show grace to ourselves when we mess up. And we can continue to follow Jesus in his way where he leads, knowing that victory has already been won. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to hear your word. Lord, help us not to get um, misled or led astray by other voices Lord I know the temptations are great and we are weak so Lord we ask that you would um, that you would guard our hearts that you would guide our eyes in what we see and how we see it would guide our ears in what we hear and how we listen. Or that you would guide our mouths in what we say and how we speak. We ask that you would continue the good work that you have begun in us. I have no longer Um, conforming us to the pattern of this world but transforming us to be more and more like Jesus in everything. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray saying, Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.